Hello everybody, welcome to The Greatest Games on the Blizzard. My name is Marcus Speller, with me is Jonathan Wilson, and with us today is Dion Fanning, a journalist and broadcaster previously at the Sunday Independent, covering the Premier League and the World Cup, and is currently with The Currency, an online publisher focusing on business, finance, economics and public policy. Dion, a pleasure to have you back on the pod. Thanks, Marcus. Thanks for asking me. And not at all. Today we go back to the 1987-88 season, to a first division match that finished Liverpool 2 Everton zero. Dion, why have you chose this game? Um, I chose this game for, well, it, I suppose like a lot of people in uh, lockdown, there is that sort of like nostalgic, uh, mm-hmm. we tend to look back on things, especially watching f- football uh, behind closed doors. And I was, I was actually at this game. Uh, I went to this game. Uh, it was one of the first games I went to at Liverpool as a, as a, as a teenager. And um, I we had seats. Uh, it's one of those. It's one of those games where the, the the entire experience of it becomes a thing you can't. I I for days the sound of the crowd was kind of ringing in my head. You know, just the the atmosphere of it. We had seats that were were in the main stand, but about three rows back from the from the touchline and really low down. So you couldn't actually. It was, it was a bit like being at the press box at White Hart Lane. You, know, you couldn't actually see anything of the game, but it was a tremendous experience. <laughs> like it was always a difficulty if you're actually writing about football to be in the press box of Ireland language. You didn't know what was going on, but you actually got a great view of the protagonists. And it was a bit like that that day, in that you know, and the the atmosphere, the 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 aggression in the game. Like I clearly remember those moments. Like there's, there's moments when. Steve McMahon kind of kicks Peter Reid off the pitch. He just kind of kicks him off the pitch and Reid turns around and looks as if he's going to hit him and then hugs him and they kind of just get on with the game. Um, but it, was just, it just seemed to be full of those, those moments. Um, and it, it, it's one of those games that has always lingered in my head. Obviously, it's a Merseyside derby. I think looking back on it, it's a very pivotal game. Everton were champions going into that game. Um, it was a very pivotal game in the sense that they never read like Liverpool were, were were accelerating away from everybody that season, but also there was the, the the seeds of Liverpool's decline was already to kind of beginning. I think in some ways, like Mark Lawrenson started this game for Liverpool. I think he probably played two or three more games. Um, Ian Ian Rush had gone to Juventus. They'd replaced Rush and Doug Leash effectively with with. Uh, Barnes and Beardsley, um, and they, the next season, Rush returned, and I think they signed him back. They re- and they never, they never really addressed. Once Lawrence retired, that there was actually a, there was a fragility appearing in Liverpool's in at in Liverpool, and it manifested itself at the end of this season. First of all, when they lost to Wimbledon, in the uh, in the FA Cup final. And then the next season, they lost, they lost the last day of the season. They lost the league to Arsenal after Hillsborough. And then 1990 was their last championship. And then, it, obviously, there was a 30-year wait. So I think there was, while this was seen as a fantastic Liverpool team, and it was, it had kind of, it was a team that Doug Leach had kind of evolved and taken away from the traditional Liverpool style. But it was also... Looking back on it with hindsight, it didn't seem at the time, but with hindsight, it was a team that was just about, I think, probably peaking around now mm-hmm. and a, a decline was going to set in because a lot of these players, 
McMahon was still there four years later. A lot of these players grew old in this Liverpool team and it didn't really um, change. And I guess then as well, like when you, you know, we're talking, like it is funny watching the game again, watching the the build up to it. And I was just reminded of, and like we're, we're, I, I, we're recording this in the middle of, you know, uh, uh, an existential, maybe the existential crisis for football. But it was a kind of reminder that there was always these, there was always some crisis. I remember I was just reminded of the mid 80s, there was this obsession because of where football was coming from obsession with attendances every match jimmy hill whenever they would talk about attendances are on the up again you know there's three thousand more at the ground at games last weekend and he mentioned it again in this one because because of the mid 80s and what had happened um and football was football wasn't like i was looking preparing for this like it was amazing football football wasn't on tv at all for the first half of the 1985-86 season because the football league had fallen out with the broadcasters and the broadcasters <laughs> refused to put them on air and said football has no football seems to think it has a god-given right to be on television <laughs> well it doesn't and you know so that was only two years prior to this and you forget this match was live on bbc one uh and there was always that sense with you know that they, they, there was you get that sense watching it again watching that there was you know, they were they were very eager and there was an eagerness to please the public that they were reaching. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't just here you go. You you are very familiar with what you're seeing. You you understand the uh, protagonists. It was something we are now taking up space in your living rooms again. And let us explain mm-hmm. uh, who we are and, and kind of what we do. Well, I, I think that that point about um, the need to please I th- I think that's I, I don't just occurred to me when you when you were speaking there that I read David Lacey's um follow up on on this game in the Guardian and it starts off talking about um England played away against Yugoslavia in Belgrade uh a week or maybe 10 days after this game uh, which is the famous 4-1 win the Brian Robson brilliant game uh so he talks a bit about England selection but then it goes on to talk about at least there's no violence. And he talks about how there were a couple of moments when things flared up and then calmed down again. And there clearly was a, a bit of hysteria around this. Uh, and he refers back to a, a Rangers-Celtic game, I, I guess the week before this. And it, it only just occurred to me, that would have been the 2-2 that we did with Scott Murray. when we yeah, first, yeah, That's right, yeah. Right back at the beginning, which had, mm. what, two two-somethings off and... and mm-hmm. oh, oh, sorry, two... Two for Rangers, one for Celtic, was it? Yeah. And then, right. then you know, all manner of crowd disturbances. And mm-hmm. I remember we were watching that game, and, and our tone with, with Scott was very much, this is hysterically funny. <laughs> and we really should have far more players just beating the shit out of each other. <laughs> and, and you know, Terry Butcher getting sent off is one of the funniest things that's ever happened in football. <laughs> um, but actually placing context, you know, you you sort of understand why there was so much sort of moral concern about that. There always was, and I think, but there was also, and again, you you wouldn't. I remember being at this at this game and knowing nothing about this and only learning about it later. But I think that they Everton had beaten Liverpool on the Wednesday before this game in the in the League Cup. They'd knocked them out of the League Cup at Anfield, and that was Liverpool's first defeat of the season. But also at at the end of this match, Jimmy Hill refers to. 
that was a tremendous game. But again, like the David, with none of the nastiness of Wednesday night. Now, I think what he was referring to there is the racial abuse that John Barnes got in that that game, because that was his first game against Everton. And infamously, he was abused uh, by by Everton fans. And you can pick it up a bit in this game as well, but I think the midweek game, for whatever reason, it was even more pronounced. I mean, but, Dion, Dion, you were at the game. You, did, did you? Did it seem unsavoury to you? No, it was incredible. It was fantastic. Yeah. It was everything, you know, uh, everything you would you would kind of. No, there was nothing unsavoury about it at all. You didn't feel, and I'd been to, and I was just a kid, but I'd been to, and I'd been to a few games in England, and I'd been to, you know, and there were games you'd be to, you, you'd be, you'd, you'd have been at where you would sense that that atmosphere you would sense a mm-hmm. bit of uh i need you know i just you know i'd be with my dad you know that he'd be trying to get you away you know keep you mm-hmm. away i remember being at a spurs game a few years before that and again that sense of okay just let's get away from from this trouble that wasn't there mm-hmm. i don't think i would have picked up on uh um any racist abuse at that stage. i wouldn't have been aware of that and there was no there was no again there was no mention of it. There was no. It was. It but that, that that mention though. I see. I think this is a thing where like, I'm not for a second suggesting that problems have gone away entirely. But at least now the debate is: to what extent should we publicise this, or is there danger that by publicising it, we're somehow, you know, uh, fanning the flames a bit? That we're mm-hmm. we're sort of giving publicity to people who are looking for publicity. I I remember Sunderland lost three one at Newcastle on New Year's Day, nineteen eighty five. And I looked back uh, at the, the the sort of Time Tees news clip of that. And they do, I don't know, it's like a, a seven or eight minute package on the game. And Peter Beardsley scores a, I think he might, might even score a hat-trick. I think he does score a hat-trick, but one of them's a brilliant goal. And they're just talking about that. And they talk about the two sendings off for Sunderland players. And they don't mention the two players sent off for Sunderland, the only two black players on the pitch. And they don't mention the... The very, very audible monkey chants you hear all the way through the game. And so I think even in the mid-80s, there was a tendency from broadcasters to, to gloss over it. Not to say this is a scandal, we've got to tackle this. But just to, it was easier for them just to say, this was a great game, Newcastle won or whoever won. Look at these great goals. And the actual big issue, the big social issue, was totally ignored. And of course, Barnes going to Liverpool... Was a was a huge racial issue, and, and not just for opposition fans, but he was the first black player Liverpool had signed. They'd had Howard Gale who'd come up through their youth ranks, but that was a big it was a big deal, and there's a lot of opposition to it. And you see this, you know, th- through that summer of of eighty seven, there was a lot of a discussion around the signing. is 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 very uncomfortable that there was a definitely a sense that Barnes was an individualist, and that maybe didn't fit Liverpool's system, and Kane Dalglish regularly had to address that and so I, I i get that from a tactical point of view but you also see very quickly there's a racial element added to that that oh he's a bit of an individual comes to mean something not quite what it looks like it means yeah yeah, no, I mean, d- yeah definitely mm-hmm. yeah i mean it's in- incredible to sort of have those kind of chats now you know you think of of how different 
things are still obviously a lot of work to be done but yeah it, all a bit unsavory i mean on on the uh, at the game itself though, though dion you know you talked about the atmosphere and so on and we can't forget that you know, it was a huge derby match uh and and these two sides had really sort of dominated the league in the in the, the previous few seasons i mean in i think throughout the 80s it was only villa and arsenal um one one title each that had that were the only sort of non-Liverpudlian sides to have won the league. Liverpool won it seven times, if you include sort of 89-90, and, and Everton won it a couple of times, of course. But in that period in the mid-80s, you know, Everton won the league in 85, Liverpool finished second, and then for three seasons of running, you know, they were the top two. Everton were the champions going into this game. So this was the the two really the sort of the two best sides in England going at it and it was an all it was always a big game especially with Anfield as the backdrop it was um and I suppose the the the, the issue for Everton having won the league was that mm. Howard Kendall had left again and again everything is in the context of the time Howard Kendall had left and gone to uh Bilbao because of the ban on English clubs that they Everton were unable to weren't weren't in in European football? They'd been, you know, uh, denied playing you know, place in in the you know, I suppose this team as well. But eighty five it always is the one that sticks out for Evertonians, I think, because mm-hmm. they were, uh, they they'd won the league with that with that really really excited excellent team, um, but so this year it was uh, this season Colin Harvey was in charge taking over from from Kendall, and, um. I think you know if if Liverpool were Liverpool, as Jonathan has said, you know they 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 done it they made a kind of very audacious refashioning of the team. Whereas Everton, um, that would come later. They almost kind of reacted. You know, I don't think they signed. I think they don't think they signed anybody this in in the summer of eighty seven when they were champions. They brought in Ian Snowden earlier in 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 eighty seven. Um, Maybe Wilson, I think maybe he might have been signed, but they didn't make any big signings. Uh, and even though the year before they'd lost Lineker to Barcelona, um, Adrian Heath was injured for this game, so Wayne Clark, who was Alan Clark's younger brother, started. And they were the two best teams, but I think Everton were already slipping. And this was a game I think they were six points behind Liverpool going into this game, and Liverpool had two or three games in hand. I think Liverpool. Had, they 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 hadn't played a couple of their home games at the start yeah, of the, the season. Yeah, the first three home games had to postpone because a sewer collapsed underneath the cop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they'd they gone top. This was the eleventh game of the season for them. Everybody else had played fourteen. Well, I guess not the teams they were meant to be playing against, but uh, so yeah, they were three behind. But they'd gone top uh, their ninth game. So they'd only dropped two points all season. But I, I think, from a football point of view, this was this was sort of a key, a key game because Everton had beaten them in Littlewoods Cup four days earlier, and I, I, so I, I, I think the sense was, if if Liverpool are to be stopped, it it will be this game, and I think actually Liverpool's reaction to to this game, which is they they just draw the next three, which actually takes them off the top briefly, although with games in hand, and that's the only time they're off the top for the for the rest of the season, but I, I think almost those those three draws in a row. It suggests how much they put into this game that this was seen as being the target, and then maybe a bit of sort of emotional fatigue in the couple of weeks that followed. Yeah, and I think it's it's interesting going into this game as well. Um, like Barnes, you know, for all the reasons you like, Barnes had been such a sensation in his first few months at Liverpool as well. You know, and if 
like given the context of everything, but he had as especially, but he had just been phenomenal and he'd answered, you know, you know, all, all questions like legitimate taxical ones and whatever ones were actually hinting at something darker and, and, and nastier as well. But he, he'd, uh, he'd, he'd been such a, he's been such a success in the first few months of the season. I think that Liverpool, I think there was a game they played QPR a few weeks before this QPR had been leading you know and Barnes just tore them apart um, and this was a different type of game and it's interesting you know we'll get into it but it's interesting watching the game how little <laughs> well how little anyone gets into it but how little <laughs> the ball they get managed to get the ball to Barnes or bring Barnes into the game mm-hmm. uh, and then he does what he then it's almost like he kind of what he ended up doing in his career he just ends up he, he, he starts coming more and more in, in, in field because like the idea of him as a winger is something that in this game there isn't really there isn't really a role for somebody you know uh, being graceful on the touchline i think trevor stephen <laughs> did a really good job against him sort of dropping deep and, and, and supporting gary stevens and they they would be the right side when england's played in yugoslavia you know a week later whenever it was mm. all right chaps let's have a quick break and then after that we'll uh, talk about the match itself back in a moment everybody Welcome back to the greatest games on the blizzard. Right then, so uh, the game's at Anfield, as we say. Uh, Jimmy Hill's got his leather jacket on, Jonathan, um, to set the tone. And, uh, I mean, it's a star-studded lineup, really, isn't it, Dion? The likes of Grobelar, McMahon, Barnes, you've already mentioned John Aldridge in there. Uh, And you mentioned earlier that you felt it was perhaps the, the peak of the Liverpool, or maybe the sort of the back end of the peak. Of uh, of this of these sort of great Liverpool sides of of the eighties, but as they show in this game, they've still got a bit of uh, class, but also a bit of fight about them as well. Yeah, they've. Um, oh no, it's an ex- it, it it has everything. This Liverpool team, it's mm. uh, um, within within the context of of the year, I suppose. Uh, it's it's just they've got Whelan and McMahon in the centre of midfield. Uh, Hansen, Nickel, Lawrenson, um, at the back, uh, Barnes obviously, and then Aldridge and Beardsley, and there was, you know, there was there was a there was a it was a really there was a a great balance to that side. Ray Houghton had just been signed, uh, and I think it was expected to to start this game, um, but they they picked the same team. That uh, it's funny. I remember watching this this you know having taped the game, having been at it, and. Uh, you know those things that lodge in your head as a kid and watch it back. You know so many times, and Jimmy Hill says before the game, it's he says <laughs> it's a it's an old managerial trick: lose a game and send the same team out the following match. <laughs> and I, you know, you lodge in your head, wow. You know, you think this. Is, this. <laughs> Sounds like uh, Baldrick's cunning yeah, plan or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, and it's uh, you know, you kind of like God, but those managerial tricks are incredible. <laughs> <laughs> it's the last thing they'll expect us to yeah. do. So. <laughs> they haven't made one change, and, and they said the most they would have made would have been one change. So, uh, but I always lodge my head as that kind of thing. That's the thing. That's why they. That's why they get those managers get the big bucks. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah, Houghton had been signed the previous month, but Liverpool always had that thing where they didn't they didn't play new signings straight away. That they they wanted to let new signings settle into the system. So I think he made his debut the week, the, a week earlier, 
Um, but it, it was still this sort of process of, of him being integrated in, into the side. So I, I, I was trying to work out where Houghton would have played. Presumably Craig Johnston would have been the player who missed out, but then would Whelan have gone wide right? Does that make no, sense? No, no, I know. Houghton would have played wide right. That's where he Houghton played. would have played wide right, okay. Yeah, and, uh, we, yeah, that's where he played for Liverpool at that stage and for Ireland. Mm-hmm. Uh, Whelan had played, like Whelan had been, until Barnes arrived, Whelan, Whelan played left midfield for, for Liverpool and then they had... Well, because he scored that great goal in the League Cup final from left side midfield, right. didn't he? That yeah, curler yeah. past Gary Bailey. Yeah. And they had Moby, and Moby was the kind of big loser of, of this uh, Liverpool team. I think he got injured, and he would have been down to start with with McMahon in the centre midfield. But they put Whelan in there instead, and that partnership, like Whelan, Whelan was a, a, a very good footballer. He wasn't like he couldn't pass it as well as Jan Moby, but he was clearly more mobile, and uh, he could pass it. And he was also uh, McMahon had the kind of hard man reputation, but Whelan was Whelan was tough. Like there's a couple of, and he was he kind of he was a, he was a little bit he was a bit sneaky as well. So like he did he did actually leave his foot in a few times and and get away with it in that classic sense where McMahon was the player with the reputation. And all through this game, there's one like there's one you know McMahon and Reed is the battle that everyone is talking about. And there's a couple of moments with one tackle Whelan has on. On Reed late on, which is filthy, terrible tackle, and nobody barely mentions. Nobody mentions it because it's not the grandstand. Two hard men facing off. Um, but yeah, have, so I, t- was... have I told you my uh, my Ray Hatt and Ronnie Whelan story for the 2018 World Cup? You haven't. Oh, incredible. I mean, I've kind of given away the punchline now a bit, <laughs> but um, I was on the train going from St Petersburg to Moscow between the second semi and the final, and as ever between the second semi and the final, it was carnage. You know, the transport is always chaos because everybody's making that journey. Mm. So I, I, months in advance, I, I booked a ticket and, and you know, I'd spent quite a lot of money on it just to guarantee me and Kat had, had seats and it was going to not be horrifically crowded. And then we get to the station that morning after the semi and it's complete chaos. There's just lines of people and then suddenly you're at platform two. No, no, it's platform 13. Everybody runs to platform 13. And they're like, there's no reservations, just pile on. So pile on, find this pair of seats. And we've been going like five minutes. It's, it's okay, it's fine. We've got seats. And I hear this Glaswegian accent going, I, I've, I've booked a seat. I want the fucking seat I fucking booked. And I see this very harassed looking uh, train guard with Ray Houghton and Ronnie Whelan <laughs> following her. And it's like, okay, it's clearly going to be me. It's clearly going to be our seat. Sure enough, she comes out. I'm, I'm really sorry, sir, but this gentleman here. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm well aware of who this gentleman here is. We've done TV work together. And he looks, he doesn't remember doing TV work with me. Why would he? And he's like, I, I'm really sorry, but you know, I've, I've booked these texts. I'm like, no, I'm fine. It's fine. I'll move. But I want to go and sit in my reserve seat. At which the guy goes, oh, sir, you've got first class tickets. What are you doing here? Oh, bye, Ray. <laughs> On the flight back from the World Cup in Brazil in 2014, I had a mm. slightly similar. You you were first class, of course, but I was I was <laughs> sitting in uh, I was sitting in economy, um, and it turned out that Captivia was sitting in front of me with his with his girlfriend or wife, and uh, or both, um, <laughs> uh, and the the um, steward came down and said said to him basically there was clearly a seat in 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 first class and offered him. 
seat and said, you know, do you want to go for first class? And, he, and they talked about it and they decided for whatever reason uh, that they they were going to stay where they were. So I just assumed that I just, uh, there's a seat going. And so I just put my hand up and said, you know, I'll, t I'll take that. And she just looked at me up and down and went, no, you won't. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear. Yeah, very was it, was it you? Somebody's told me a story about seeing Captain Beer on a plane watching highlights of the World Cup final. Was that was that is that is that part of the same story or is that a different must, incident? I don't know, I don't remember that. But uh -huh. maybe something yeah, somebody else could have been on a plane with him too. It's yeah. Very Jonathan Jonathan once told a story where was it Billy McNeil took your taxi in uh, Istanbul? Where was it? Not Istanbul. No, no, he didn't. Well, yeah, no, yes, he did. It was in it's in Seville. Uh, oh, Seville. In, of course, yeah. Uh, UEFA Cup final in two thousand three. Mm. Um, so I I got to the hotel, which is right next to Batista Stadium, and the the woman on reception said, "Are, are you are you going to the game?" So I said, "Yeah." So I, and this was like, yeah, two in the afternoon or something. So I'd go and get in the taxi queue now. It's taking hours. So I was like, ah, oh, okay. So I dumped myself in the room, go out, get in this taxi queue. And it is, yeah, hundreds of people long. Sun's absolutely belting now. It's ferociously hot. And I don't know. I've been in that queue like an hour and a half, two hours. And it's inching forward. And there's, the phones aren't working. There's, you know, Seville's in meltdown because there's 80,000 Celtic fans there. They just can't cope. And I'm within about half a dozen people at the front of the queue when suddenly this tall, grey-haired man just walks to the front of the queue. <laughs> and all these, you know, I've been led to believe that that's the kind of behaviour Glaswegians wouldn't tolerate, but they all seemed entirely fine with it. <laughs> and they're just sort of like, uh, excuse me, there's a, there's a queue. He half-turned and I realised it was Billy McNeil. And I acknowledge that in no circumstances... Mm. It was probably justified for him to take the taxi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair Any right. other European Cup winners want to jump the queue? <laughs> Off you go. Fine. <laughs> Marvellous. Well, um, yeah, I believe we were talking about Liverpool and Everton at some point in this. But, you know, <laughs> you well were the one who lost control by going to mend your dishwasher. Like, I mean, don't I, blame I do, us. I do apologise. Um, back in the game, though. Uh, so, yes, we, 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 there was Everton seemed to start the game quite well. Um uh, as 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 the sort of the highlights and Jimmy Hill suggested, uh, Dion, and obviously they just won uh, only a few days uh, prior to this game at Anfield in, in in the League Cup. So again, we be, we've become accustomed to seeing Liverpool kind of boss Everton around in sort of more recent years. Uh, but back in those days, you know, as I say, Everton were the champions going to Anfield. Yeah, um, yeah, it's it's hard looking back on it. At, at this distance to say to kind of figure out what they mean by Everton starting well because to like to the to our eyes now it just seems like it, it the, the, a lot of the football is so rudimentary like it's mm. it's it is it's incredibly fast like the one thing that's interesting about it is and Jimmy Hill says this at halftime again I think in that way of talking to an audience who are unfamiliar he says something about like the the uh not the time they don't have the time we would have been used to in the past, but in its own way, this is sensational. Um, <laughs> and again, it's just it's just you know it is again it's frenetic because any game went before the back pass rule changed has that crazy crazy frenzy what ends with you know the yeah. round of applause for a defender just knocking it back to the goalkeeper <laughs> like that's you know it's like you know, what 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 such drama yeah i know such drama and then it's just knocked back and everyone cheers it's like, you really are starved of you know we don't know how lucky we have it today because that is like worthy of applause but like 
you know there's there's just there are spells like that endless spells like that like there's one early on where i think johnson craig johnson flicks on you know just johnson flicks on a grobbler uh goal kick then southall flicks it you know all like uh you know then it's kicked back up and it goes back to grobbler and then it goes back up and aldridge flicks it on and southall take and this just goes on endlessly and then at the end of this period it's like everton have started quite well you're like what exactly do you mean because there isn't a huge amount of chances Stephen has a Stephen had a chance trevor Stephen, yeah. who really was an excellent player Stephen, mm. like he's very underrated player but he had he had a chance about 20 minutes in which uh you know was was one of those signs that everton were a bit on top and i guess it was that they were probably just dominating a little bit in those aggress like reed was dominating in midfield as as an aggressive force um and as i said but like apart from that you know again there's a moment where uh like again you know Stephen I think it was Stephen as well and and Barry Davis says you know that that must go down that'll go down as the worst pass of the game so far and I'm like how can you tell <laughs> I mean the, the Stephen chance actually it's a really nice bit of football leading up to it it's sort of three or four one touch passes that release uh, Ian Wilson down the left and he he gets to the line cuts it back and it's I mean Jimmy Hill's going on about what a good save it is at half time Grobbler's essentially standing in the right place and the ball hits him, which, mm. I mean, is, is all he could do in the circumstances. But um, so yeah, I know exactly what you mean about the these sort of just flurries of mayhem. But you could see every now and again little strings of, of coherent passes, which I guess feel as if they're worth so much more because they're, 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 they're so so unusual. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I, I definitely, and as I said, like the, that, Stephen chance was there was a good passage of play but again that is is such a rarity in this game of you know mm. three or four passes uh, a sequence of passes put together leading to something and it doesn't even seem to be on the sort of on people's minds for for a, a lot for long periods of the game this doesn't seem to be something that anyone is considering they should even be attempting yeah. I, don't, I don't know if it's Jimmy Hill at halftime or Barry Davis on the commentary. He makes a point of saying, you know, a string of one-touch passes, as so many of them have been, mm. as, as though that's part of the problem. But, <laughs> oh, this one-touch passing. Just, just calm down, lads. Yeah. I mean, it, it does. it is remarkable, as you say, like quite sort of rudimental, that these are two of the top sides in England at the time. And yet, you know, when you watch the football, it is quite different. And quite kind of um, fast and furious, and, and sort of a bit of kick and run. Um, I mean, it, it took thirty-five minutes though for the first sort of real piece of quality when um, John Barnes kind of gets the ball and and puts McMahon through, and that was of course one nil, uh, Dion. But it's a nice bit of work from Barnes to set McMahon through, and he, uh, and, he and he and he lifts the ball over big Neville Southall in goal, and the noise from the the uh, the home end at Anfield is quite something, which no doubt you thoroughly enjoyed being a part of. Yeah, well, I think the goal itself again, it does, it just, it just sort of jumps out like it's, it's, mm. it's almost like it's, it's part of a different game. And it, mm. Barnes has, you know, he's, he's, he's come in field, um, he's, you know, he's, he's playing kind of, you know, what we would see is a kind of number ten. He's in a sort of number ten position almost at that point, and it's a beautiful, it's a really beautiful ball with the outside of his left foot, uh, and McMahon. 
just running from midfield. And again, probably a rudimentary, and like he's running from midfield. Everton are playing, uh, are, are defending quite high up the pitch, and he just beats the offside and gets through. And a wonderful, a really great finish the way he just puts it, like lifts it over Neville Southall. Mm-hmm. And there is that, yeah, yeah, that sense then of an explosion of, uh, but all of it, I think even, you know, I don't, maybe it, maybe it is romantic, maybe it's nostalgic, even the Barry Davis commentary, you all, like there's something about Barry Davis commentary, mm-hmm. I think that maybe we do all kind of look at every bit of it as kind of, we, <laughs> we imbue it all with too much poetry, but he does, he yeah. does so very rarely says, it's not that he says the wrong thing, it's just he very says, very rarely says something that puts you out or just makes yeah. you feel that like you're listening to somebody who's talking mm-hmm. too much or he's said something egregious. And even that is just, that's great from Barnes to McMahon and you know, the finish and things. And then there's so much, it's that great explosion in a derby of like, is, are people happy? Are they angry? You know, it's like just that <laughs> aggression. Like I'm, I'm Dave, even Davis, when he says like, where is the greater, de- where's the greater delight? Is it, I think it's in that goal. It's very, yeah. Is yeah, it, it is a goal, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, is it in the in the stands or on the pitch? Or, and, you know, there's no delight anywhere. Everyone's just like point, like they're all <laughs> swearing at, at like the Everton stand, and, you know, the flat players. Like nobody's, nobody's actually happy. Because, yeah. uh, it doesn't really matter, but it is just yeah. that. And it is, it is the kind of goal that is means so much in those games because of the way it is, because there's nothing... Of of real quality, or lo- very little of, of of quality. Again, going back to that, this is one of those moments where Barnes has time, uh, or he finds uh, he finds time, and he picks the pass, and McMahon, or McMahon makes a run that makes the pass in some ways too, and it all comes mm-hmm. together, and then there is that that explosion that at, mm. at, because of the importance of it. Yeah, do you, Jonathan, do you think Steve McMahon is one of those? Well, certainly in in my um, sort of thought that he might be one of those sort of forgotten players of mm. great Liverpool sides. I mean, do you think he's maybe a touch underrated? Yeah, I think he probably is. I mean, I don't, I don't have the England captain to one twenty odd probably, which is mm. uh, he he was often there. You know, yeah, big games. You know, oh, there's Steve McMahon again. Mm-hmm. Um, so that game when. Well, he was taken out for, was it David Platt, would it have been in 1990, who obviously... Yeah, well, he came off the bench against Ireland, didn't he? And it's his mistake, which lets Kevin Sheedy mm-hmm. in for the equaliser in the first game. And I mm-hmm. think that pretty much cost him this tournament. Um, maybe maybe he doesn't come off the bench. Maybe he's on, on the pitch from the start. But anyway, it's his error. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a game there's a game in Poland. Um trying to think when that would have been it must have been after 1990 because i'm pretty sure it's david rocastle was on the right side of midfield when he plays really really well in one of those classic sort of horrible gritty england forcing a draw against poland games <laughs> he got into uh, the team more it, under taylor all right didn't he he got great yeah yeah but it, i said but he was also yeah he was good on the ball he was you know he, he and this you know he takes this goal really well it's a, it's a slightly i can't quite work out what happens because certainly when you see it from behind the goal, Southall goes down really early. And I think what happens is that as as the ball sort of bounces in McMahon's path, he checks himself to get it into a stride. And I, th- I think it's Ratcliffe, the defender, who's right behind him. And it's almost like he and the actor holding off Ratcliffe 
inadvertently dummy Southall and Southall goes down then and he then has that little moment where he sees Southall's gone down and so he, he has the the time to sort of to loft the shot and to know the lofted shot is the right thing to do but I mean whether you can even process those thoughts that quickly I don't know but it, it is it is a great finish in the end but you see it from behind the goal and Southall does seem to go down quite early so yeah I, I think I think McMahon probably is a type of player we don't really see a lot of anymore of the hard man who's actually still pretty good on the ball. Mm. Yeah, so half-time 1-0 and then into into the second half. I mean, it's again, the fight continues there, Dion. Uh, and it was, is there anything um, before the, the, the second goal that kind of sticks out in the mind or any sort of moments or flashpoints? Because the, the, the game in the, in the League Cup that Everton won, I mean, there's... You know, Radcliffe should be sent off for a for a terrible uh, tackle, which is given a yellow card. And as you mentioned earlier uh, in this game, the, the, who did you say was it? Uh, Peter Reed went mm. off the pitch. Somebody kicked Peter Reed off the pitch. It seemed to be one of those games where you could have these kind of moments, which you wouldn't really have nowadays. No, like it. it it's hard sometimes when you watch this game, it, you know, to think: Do we? Just reference everything that yeah. uh, that wouldn't wouldn't be allowed anymore because you could just you know you'd be like and this is this is you know this isn't even like nineteen seventy four sure. or nineteen seventy cup final or anything mm. like that where you know the, like the, the amount you know famously like nobody would be left on the field mm. if it was refereed today but uh, there is no there is just that there is just that kind of re- relentless aggression like Reed. Uh, there was a tackle. I think it's later. It's after the goal. Actually, there was a tackle. Mm. I mentioned the wheeling on Reed, but there was a tackle by Snowden on McMahon at one point as well, which is a horrendous tackle. Absolutely horrendous tackle. Which which is, is given the uh, which is actually named and, ch- and 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 called out on on the day by Barry Davis as a bad tackle. Mm. Uh, you know, like it's just. <laughs> you know, but on on we go. Um, you know, nothing. Just move on. But it's a really, really terrible. I think. I think was Brian Hill was the referee. I think he got the uh, again. Because, and this shows you how much things have changed. I remember he got. I think he was given the FA Cup final this year on the basis of this game because he was he was deemed that he refereed it um, very well and there was no flash points. There was nothing, and there was nothing. There's nothing hugely that he missed. But again. It all that sense that that, that, that that sense that everything had passed off smoothly, like a visit to kind of you know a kind of maiden aunt, you know, <laughs> and like you know you've gone <laughs> like you've been in you've been in her front room, and uh, and and sat there, you know, you know, the kids had come in and they sat there, they hadn't spilt anything, she'd given you the kind of scones and cream, and you hadn't put any, nothing had fallen on her. On her armchair, which was covered in plastic, and you know all that kind of stuff. That was that was the general tenor of how English football felt about itself when it was on live television, especially like nothing unpleasant, nothing you know, uh, noticeably unpleasant took place, and we can all move on. But actually, the other thing that struck me, and Jonathan might, I don't know if I'm right about this, but I I felt this game and again this is something that's just struck me watching it again it was it took a very long time and this is even maybe post sky the fact that this was a sunday game and had the atmosphere that it did i wonder i thought that was quite rare quite a rare thing i thought it took a long time for sunday games to get the same atmosphere 
as a, as a three o'clock Saturday game. Like we, now we don't look at it as something different at all. But I, I have this memory of, you know, Sunday games, maybe not in times of Sky, but certainly the late 80s, 90s, when, the, when ITV had the, had the Sunday games. And they always seemed, they never seemed to take off the way at, at three o'clock Saturday. The fans were a little bit more subdued for whatever reason than they would be. Yeah, but I think Saturday. the reason's perfectly clear, which is it's a Sunday, not a Saturday. Yeah. So you, ha- you have your routine and your ritual on the Saturday. And, and I mean, this is going to sound horrendously um, chauvinistic, but, you know, it's the way it was that it was the bloke's day off. Yeah. The, you, know, you you went to the pub and, I don't know, you had your, your sausage roll and your, a few pints, or you had a burger or you had a you know, poker chips, and you went to the game and the expectation of more pints afterwards. And and yeah, you were allowed to sleep in on on a Sunday morning. There was mm. was a, a lack of consequence. Whereas on a Sunday, you 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 may well have been going to see your maiden aunt after the game, or you might mm. have had your Sunday roast with her beforehand. Um, and, and the pubs, to, yeah, you weren't the pubs. Well, the pubs were you weren't. What times the pubs open on a Sunday? Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I, yeah, that might have been different as well. But certainly, there wouldn't mm. have been a culture of going mm. and yeah, ramming down four or five pints before the game, and then another four or five after. Because you'd be in the mine or the shipyard or the factory or, or whatever on the Monday morning. So, uh, yeah, but know. this is a rare game. Then that was that mm. is true. This is a game that actually has doesn't seem to yeah. lose. Yeah, well, it's, it's it's interesting you, you point that because I'd assumed it was a Sunday game because I knew it was a league game in November, and then because it's November, it's quite dark, mm. and so I, I then I actually checked to make sure it wasn't a midweek game because it didn't feel like a Sunday afternoon game. Yeah. But I, and I think also just and again it's changed now because shops are open and everything, but. Back in the eighties, you know, even in England, which is you know essentially an irreligious country, Sundays were, were different. You know, mm. Sundays had a different feel to a Saturday. It, it was, it, it was a you know a, a, a day for being well behaved and 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 not not the day when you're off the leash. Mm. And, and you know, as, as a well, I'd have been what eleven. Uh, I, I definitely felt that Saturday was when you pissed about and had fun, and Sunday was when. You're, you're on your best it. behavior and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> on your best behavior you went went to have tea with your gran or whatever you know it's so mm-hmm. so yeah i think you're absolutely right i think there was a big difference but but this this is raucous right from the start yeah and it was extremely raucous when the second goal went in i mean everything you're saying is um backed up by the scenes of celebration when that that second goal goes in after 70 minutes um john barnes is involved again in the move uh, dion that leads to that second goal. And it's a lovely, a very rare... I mean, nowadays, you know, seeing a back heel is not that uncommon, especially for uh, for one of the best sides in the top flight. But again, with with the pitches in the 80s, with the, the kind of battles that went on, seeing a back heel from John Barnes seemed quite the treat, especially on a Sunday. Yeah, it was, it was, it was beautiful play. And then uh, ball comes across. Aldridge is blocked by Ratcliffe, I think, again. And then Peter Beardsley lashes it in, uh, and a kind of a big moment for Beardsley in his Liverpool career because I think he'd scored he'd scored two goals. He'd been he was the record signing for Liverpool uh, that summer, not Barnes. He was the player that they'd spent the I, I think probably broke the British transfer record for uh, for, um, and it hadn't been it hadn't been working for him and. Barry Davis mentions at one point in the commentary that the rumour in, in Merseyside that day was that Doug Leach was going to leave him out. So mm-hmm. it was, uh, um, and the second half of the season, 
it turned from him. He became a, a hugely influ- influential player that season. But this was the this was the game when that when and that moment I suppose was was the uh, was the moment when he kind of for obvious reasons scoring against mm-hmm. Everton he 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 took that pressure off him. And there's there's actually a shot of him uh, just after that uh, just after the goal. And it's that great shot of you know the classic thing of a footballer, who, and he's he's breathing very heavily. His breath breath is quite short, and you can just sense, even though he's just going about you know trying to just be engaged in in the play, that all he is thinking about is the goal he's just scored, and like the adrenaline is coursing through him in that way where you realize this is how much this must have meant to him, and to, because of because of everything, and then because of the re- reaction it gets. Uh, and again, a I mean, great piece of commentary for Barry Davis. Oh, it is. Yeah, yeah. Go on, do it. No, no, you do it. You do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, lovely girl. <laughs> yeah. And then he says, uh, and, he, and he gets a kiss from it from a man wearing a blue striped shirt. Well, that's, which, that's yeah. the bit that is, is such a sign of the times because, because you're saying how people are a bit more well-behaved on a Sunday, all that kind of stuff and, and the atmosphere. Yet when that goal goes in, I mean, there is a sort of a minor pitch invasion. And a load of fans are on the pitch, as you say, and Barry Davis mentioned. I mean, again, nowadays, if there is a pitch invasion, you certainly wouldn't have a commentator to go, oh, that's great that they're getting involved as well, essentially, which is sort of what Barry Davis is saying. Yeah, it is. I suppose it is. I, but I think, yeah, the, yeah. He's not condoning it, should I say? No, but no. Again. But I think, I think at that point there is just uh, exuberance. And again, hmm. if we're going to continue, if we're going to push the maiden aunt visit metaphor, I think everyone, <laughs> everyone, the maiden aunt has laughed at a, at a joke that somebody's yeah. made, and everyone has relaxed a little bit into their seats. <laughs> and so, you know, if there's a little bit more exuberance, they think that can just be. It's just laughed away rather than something that deserves a kind of you know slap on the wrist. Yeah, true enough. But it, but it is a lovely goal, uh, Jonathan. It's a yeah, great... I, mean, I think you can see Beardsley's confidence building through the second half because uh, Aldridge has a goal ruled out for offside, which I think probably is offside. Um, but it's a nice bit of interplay between Barnes and Beardsley and Beardsley's cross to Aldridge. And you sort of see it building from there. And then this incident, I, I think when you see the replay, uh, Aldridge ends up sort of kicking the ball in the back of his own heel uh, as Ratcliffe makes the challenge and it sort of bounces up and it's it's spinning quite awkwardly and Beardsley absolutely lashes it in and you, it's not the kind of finish you you would attempt if you're feeling nervous it's certainly not the kind of finish you'd you'd, you'd pull off uh, and it is a lovely goal Bar- Barry as ever is is, is right it's a, it's a great finish um, I, and I, it settles the game I think Beardsley as well though I know what you're saying about that He's not, but it probably did help that it just sits up and it's there and he didn't have to think about it. So Yeah, that's you know, yeah, probably that's true. Yeah, um yeah. even if he is, you know, like the confidence factor, like it just it was just there and he and he hit it and uh it was it was a spectacular goal. Yeah. Uh and and two 0 really that was that was that Dion. The game was was won by Liverpool and uh, an important three points because they as you said earlier, you know, they went on to win the league and uh you, I mean no one could envisage this side. I know it's been said many many times before but a side like this going you know 30 years without winning the title i mean it just seemed absolutely implausible then yeah i would have seen that implausible sorry well no it it it, um it was and it was uh well i think there was this sense i think in the post-match interview steve mcmahon was asked uh and again probably a little bit of alarm because he uh he, his response they asked him could Liverpool could anyone beat Liverpool this season and he said oh Christ yeah 
and uh, <laughs> they were again live on the BBC. They didn't want on that. a Sunday. On a Sunday, yeah, yeah, yeah. terrible. Um, but that was that was the way. I think Liverpool went twenty nine games unbeaten in the league that season, um, before Everton beat them. So it was uh, that was the narrative that was that was forming around this Liverpool team. Everton, as I said, were league champions, but I think at this stage, this was the game where it's like, well, they're not going to be, they're not going to be league champions this season. Uh, uh, I think they were, were they, they were, I think nine points behind Liverpool after mm. after this. So it was, it was the end for like end for their title hopes. But then, yeah, the idea that Liverpool would go thirty years. And when I said they were, this team was was aged. I think this team aged. Like the problem with this team was, this was this team at its at its at its at its peak. Mm. Um, you know, they went, they beat Forest, they beat Forest five nil. This later on in this season, which was the game Tom Finney famously said was the greatest exhibition of football. But that that game is, I mean, a it's an amazing performance. Mm. I mean, it's five nil going on twenty nil. They they're brilliant that day. But there's also, I think it's the third time they played Forest in 11 days because they had the rearranged game they should have played at the beginning of the season. Plus they had a cup semi-final, which they win. And and they draw the other league game, I think, don't they? Uh, but the, the 5-0 is sort of the defining performance of this season. But there's also, with the knowledge of what is to come, there's something poignant about watching Liverpool on a sunny April afternoon playing Nottingham Forest, mm. producing the performance of, of a lifetime, of a generation. Knowing that a year later, sunny April afternoon against Forest, mm. you have the tragedy. Yeah, and and so there is that poignancy there. But I, I think there's also there's a, there's a couple of things about the idea of this Liverpool in decline, and maybe it's something that it's you don't get now that's quite like this in modern football because uh, clubs are always able to buy, and if they buy badly, there's not really a consequence because they always have more money to buy again. So you don't quite get the same sense of the rise and fall of generations. And what Liverpool had done pretty much better than any other team in the whole history of football, given particularly the competition they had around them, was to sustain the success. Really from Shankly's second great team right through to this team is just success, 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 success. And maybe one or two seasons they don't win the league, but fundamentally they're always there. And that had never been true in English football before. And... Although it is true subsequently, it's true because of changes in how the game's financed. And you almost wonder if Dalglish, by letting letting this team really flower, brings about the, the its decline. That I mean, let's imagine your maiden aunt. Let's imagine she's very keen on gardening, and she's a ruthless pruner. And by pruning regularly and ruthlessly, she prevents the trees ever fully coming into bloom. And so you never get the full beauty. And that one year when she leaves it and it goes fully into bloom is the moment the tree begins to die. Mm. That's beautiful, Jonathan. Also the back pass law. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, it is, it is extraordinary when you look on and off the field that when you're looking at that game uh, to think that within four or five years, the amount of change you know, with the back pass law the fact that you're looking at this stadium with with you know the cop at one end, Everton fans on the cop as well, uh, terracing at both ends. We know why that changed, and we know. 
but like you know, we but also the unintended consequence of that change and how it altered the entire demographic and uh of foot of the football spectator um and it's it's hard looking but if you you know it, it's it's all going to happen i think liverpool played their last the cop was last game in front of the cop in 94 i think 93 or 94 so it's only five or six years later uh when that's when that's going to happen and you know at this moment everything again it is it is like the the blooming flower everything looks everything looks set at that moment you know for liverpool mm. like they look the the crowd are there it's a beautiful still november day with with everything just looking perfect with this team dominant and in the and in the ascendancy and about to restore the restore themselves to you know to the top of the prim- to the top of the first division where they believe they belong and yet within within four five six years everything has changed yeah i mean there's an amazing bit in in all played out pete davis's book on the 1990 world cup when he's asking bobby robson about shifting from a back four to a back three or back five depending how you want to look at it and bobby robson's clearly getting a little bit irritated by constantly being asked about this and he says to pete davis liverpool play a 4-4-2 you're telling me they're not going to keep winning. They're not going to win the league for the next twenty years. Well, actually, Bobby. Like... <laughs> I think I think well ended there, gentlemen. Um, <laughs> thank you very much uh, for listening to uh, the greatest games uh, on the Blizzard. For more stories like that, do check out theblizzard.co.uk. Dion, a pleasure having you back on the pod. Thanks, Marcus. Uh, Jonathan, myself, will be back next week with another great game from football. See you then. Cheers. <laughs>